bed and I stumble to the kitchen for myself. This is the balance dilemma. We tackle the often but not always uniquely female dilemma of managing life, work, family, and self. I'm Maura Carlin. And I'm Christy Derrico. With women a major part of the workforce and two income families common and sometimes unavoidable, the demands on women are extraordinary and only increasing. They say there's a woman behind every successful man, but sometimes it's the man behind the uber successful woman. Our guest, John Brisson, is here to tell his story. John's had a number of careers, including teacher, litigation attorney, rowing coach, and father. He and his wife oriented and ran their family deliberately and differently than many expect. And according to John, it's worked quite well. John, thanks so much for joining us. Can you briefly tell us your story, starting with education and career, and then the path that you took? Uh, well, uh, Maura and Christy, thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, so I'm 66 years old. I was raised in Pleasantville, New York, which anyone from Westchester knows is uh, a very small community. It's it's almost all white, uh, but... I grew up, I uh, was one of six kids in the 60s. Uh, I was born in the 50s. I grew up in the 60s. My father was the town judge. My mom was a uh, volunteer in the ambulance corps and PTA. And like a lot of that generation, was very, very involved in the community. And we played lots of sports growing up. Uh, we basically bike and, and walked to wherever we wanted to go. And if we couldn't bike or walk there, uh, we weren't going. But we ended up uh, competing in a lot of sports, me in particular, uh, cross-country wrestling, track, swimming, diving, water polo, skiing, skating. And uh, I kind of grew up uh, through high school loving all that stuff. And then you went you went to college, you went to law school. But actually, before law school, you had another career. You were a teacher. Do I have yeah. the chronology right? Yeah. Um, I went through college. Uh, starting off, I wanted to be a physics major. But after two years, I switched to history and education. So when I graduated, I was certified to teach high school in both math and social studies. And I went up to Vermont and I taught school for two years. And it was a wonderful two years. I loved it. But I didn't see myself grading composition uh, papers. So I left Vermont, came back to New York, uh, got involved in the insurance business and started going to night law school. And resume my rowing career at the New York AC where I met Cho. That's your wife. That's my wife. And so you st- you came back and you started rowing and that was at the uh, New York AC? Yeah. And Joe was a rower too, is that correct? Yeah, Joe rowed at Brown. And then uh, she was a scientist for two years before she started her MD-PhD program at Einstein Medical School. So when she started her program, she started rowing and was invited to row out of the New York AC. So we had the same coach, and we saw each other from 5 a.m. to 6.30 every morning. And despite or because of the large family you came from, you knew you wanted a family? Uh, Yes. Uh, You know, yes. My father was a huge influence on me, as most of our fathers and mothers were. But my father told me... uh, from very early on, there was only one reason to get married, and that was to have children. And I grew up believing that. So, And I wanted to be married, so I wanted to be married, I wanted to have kids, and Joe was the same. So we both uh, wanted that. Well, when we talked earlier, you had 
told me that, told us that uh, Jo also really always wanted to pursue her career and didn't want family to stand, really, to, to, to prevent that. And that you two had talked about it before you had children. We certainly had. And uh, Jo, you know, from a very early age, Jo wanted to be a doctor. And now I'm going to slightly change this a little bit. Maybe it's part of my coping mechanism. And, and that is, you know, what's your career? So Joe's, Joe had this vision that she wanted to have this career in medicine, and she has pursued that, and she's been a rock star at that. I wanted to have, I didn't have this vision of picking a job and doing it the rest of my life. Uh, my grandfather had told me very young, you know, Find something you like to do, work hard at it, get good at it, and have fun. And when it's not fun, go do something else. And I've lived my life that way. So I've never really thought of uh, teaching or I was an insurance executive or even the law as my career that I had to do for the rest of my life. My, my career was to uh, get married, raise kids, have them move out, and grow old with... Uh, some woman I wanted to grow old with. You know, I, I think we, we should really um, uh, kill the suspense here. Your wife, <laughs> Joe, is a, a famous uh, orthopedic surgeon, correct? Yeah, Joe Joe Hannafin is a rock star orthopedic sports medicine surgeon. Uh, she works uh, in New York City, and she's uh, a four-time Olympic team doctor, been to dozens of, if not 20, world championships, as uh, a doctor for professional teams, including the Giants and the Mets, and has been the doctor for the Liberty since its beginning and professional soccer teams. But she's also very, very accomplished uh, in research and writing, so she's been published. She has pages of publication materials, and she's been president of all her national associations, which you don't get to be unless you're very involved. And, but in the associations. And ju- just to uh, add to that, she was a first in many of these categories because orthopedics is a specialty that is dominated by men. And went back when Joe got into it, there weren't any women. <laughs> and she, is that correct? That, that is totally correct. So she was the first. So when you go, when you're a doctor, you have medical school. So for her, medical school was five years because she got the MD-PhD. For most, it's four. But then a five-year residency in orthopedics, which is one-year general surgery, four years of orthopedics, and then a two-year fellowship. And uh, she was the first woman fellow at the hospital for special surgery. And many years later, uh, she was inducted into this the top gun of sports medicine orthopedic surgeons. And she was the first woman member of that group. Which So when we go to this annual meeting where she's being inducted as the first woman member, I think there's like 80, 75 or so, and they give me my badge, and my badge says, John Brisson, wife. <laughs> so, I, so I put the badge on, and later on the executive director sees it and says, oh, I can't, I've got to fix that. And I said, not a chance. I'm going to wear this all weekend. You can fix it next year. And the next year, everyone's, all the wives and one spouse, which was me, had their names and underneath it, the word spouse. So that's an advance. And, and, and one more thing to add. 
your uh, athletic career, you you two have street cred. You, you met on the national team. Or you, you were met at the AC, but you were on the national team, and you both have competed at a very high level and have won many awards. And uh, and then you've moved on from there and taken on that to coaching. But Maura, you had a question. Uh, well, it was that at some point you took over the home front. Um, you were practicing law and. What happened? I think you had a kid in daycare and some in school. What made you decide this is it? Uh, well, we had talked about, even when we were dating, uh, when we thought we might get you know, get married, what would we do if we had kids? And Joe was very clear. Her, she, she had this medical career that she really was just full steam on. And I said, that's fine, because I will be more involved in the child-rearing but of course, at the time, I had no idea what I was signing up for. But uh, tell tell us more about those conversations. Like, how yeah. in depth? Like, who's going to get up in the middle of the night, or who's going to um, miss take work when somebody's sick? Correct. And yeah, uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, Joe. So we didn't. We talked about a lot. So there was a lot we knew we were going to do, but we both had an attitude of you know, here's a job to raise the kids, and the two of us are just going to do whatever it takes to get that job done. We don't need to instruct each other. We can both see what needs to be done and, and do it. So in the, in the very early years, I would drive one of the babies over to the hospital at 2 o'clock in the morning so Joe could nurse the baby because uh, she hadn't pumped enough that day or something. But, uh, you know, we didn't talk about, well, this is what you're going to have to do. And so much of parenting... You have no idea. You have no idea what's coming at you. There's, uh, there's really, uh, we're all, your, your parents can try to tell you, but you're probably not listening at that stage. And there's, you know, how do you parent? And you parent one day at a time the best you can. <laughs> I read a recent article, and it was actually, somebody posted something on Reddit, that they had an agreement with their spouse, with their husband, that when they had kids, I mean, when they had kids, the husband would be the one to get up in the middle of the night and feed the child and do all kinds of other yeah. things. Uh, I gather you and Joe didn't have a, an agreement that was that specific. Definitely not. And uh, and the reaction on Reddit was, what are you kill it, kidding me? I, you know, you, you have an agreement over that. An agreement doesn't mean anything when you're talking about parenting. You just parent. Yeah. All right. Totally. And uh, a lot of it was uh, so... A lot of the raising the kids was like that, and we did have nannies. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back in a moment. Let me just remind people, you can call in with your questions. It's 914-636-0110. And this is The Balance Dilemma. Again, you can call in. It's 914-636-0110. We're talking to John Brisson. John, what was it like being one of the only dads at school, in the playground, in the doctor's office, making the play dates, doing all those things? Well, initially, it was kind of strange. And maybe the first few years, so I would go to the playground and uh, a lot of the women would like sit on the other side of the playground because there aren't many men there. But after a while, I'd say within a year or two, uh, I was probably in my own view. It just made no difference. So you just go into the playground, you're playing, you're doing, the, and the kids are involved. 
And I really didn't notice uh, the stares nearly as much. Did you experience what I guess I'd call institutional biases against being the dad at home? And I'm going to give you an example because I remember when one of my kids was in elementary school, uh, there was... There were one or two dads who's actually whose hours worked that they could be around during the school day and would complain at the concept of class mom or which moms want to go on the class trip. Did you feel you had to fight that battle? Uh, No, uh, I was never offended by the word Mr. Mom or class mom. And I, I would make, you know, could be a class parent or some other kind of term. Uh, but no, that, I didn't really, that didn't bother me at all. And I, I would almost sarcastically during all those years answer my friends that, uh, that I wasn't Mr. Mom, I was Mr. Dad. I did things my own way and I found their stereotyping objectionable. <laughs> and well, that was a bit of tongue in cheek, but it didn't bother me. You know, the, you know, we talked about contracts earlier and, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, discussing early on how you're going to break things out between you and your, your spouse. But there are so many little things that go into running a family and a household that can be overwhelming. There's the, the chores, the cleanup, the laundry, shopping. And for women, we often discuss this concept of a hidden workload, like even where you have a nanny or you have a cleaning person. Still, there's so much to do. How did that factor into your uh, th- those years where you were taking care of small children, str- uh, juggling work? W- did you feel this concept of a hidden workload that wasn't appreciated? Uh, probably to some extent. I never really thought of it as hidden, but it certainly you know you you, you agree to you know I'm going to go you know you're going to feed the kids and oh you're just cooking for them. But, you know, the food acquisition, the food preparation, the food storage, the food in the refrigerator, the cooking is the easy part. Right. So uh, to a certain extent, all of this labor to serve the food, that's, is that a hidden agenda? Is that hidden? And to some extent it is because you, you just don't know it. But uh, this big job has lots of things that just went with it. But what I would actually more call the hidden part is the worrying the taking care of the doctor's appointments, worrying whether the kid had whatever they needed, the, the learning issues, the worrying if they have enough friends. And did you have, undertake that? Was that yours? Uh, no, uh, I didn't worry at all. Did I, Joe? Uh, Joe, about worried, those Joe worried. Joe worried at all. And the only analogy I'll make is uh, so. When I, if, and I'm a coach. I'm a coach, so I take a coach down to the dock. And the boat launches for its race, and all the parents say, "Aren't you nervous? Aren't you nervous?" I, no, absolutely. For the first time, I'm finally calm because it's not up to me anymore. So, uh, you know, the doctor's appointments, I you do it. Sometimes they get canceled. Sometimes the doctor cancels. All that stuff never bothered me. Nor like traffic jams. But you made all those arrangements. Yeah, I, absolutely, and I totally agree. When that you'll look at the schedule and you'll say it is physically impossible to get your kids to everywhere they need to be on a daily basis. But somehow we found a way to do it. But maybe it's that Joe knew what you were handling. And so you didn't have to convince her that those chores needed a level of respect or how how difficult it was to arrange all those things. Because in 
the gender bias as the mom, she knew John was doing things that can be extremely burdensome and overwhelming. So do you do you wonder if maybe there was a, a respect that you didn't have to earn that maybe if the roles were reversed, uh, it would be underappreciated uh, that uh, mom had arranged 10 different doctor's appointments, filled out immunization forms for school, made play dates and things like that? No, I... I uh... Honestly, that just, uh, it wasn't in my radar uh, to to worry about that. So I, uh, it just wasn't. I, I took care of what the kids needed. And uh, Joe worried a lot more than I. Mm. Uh, so she kept the worrying yes, on her own. She, she, did, she didn't yeah. uh, delegate the worry. I want to give you some statistics because there have been some changes over decades. And John's actually been at the beginning of some of the changes. Um, in 1970... of families reported that the man in the family was the sole breadwinner. And in 2016, it was down to 27%. And these numbers are from the Pew Research Center. Dad, as the primary parent at home in 1989, was only about 4%. And in 2016, while not a huge amount, it was 7%. Interestingly, and this is a kind of a wonky statistic... In families where the dad was home and they were identifying the main reason they were home, it went from 4% in 1989 to being the kid. It was the kids as the reason to in 2016, men who were at home said that 24% of them said that they were home because of the kids. And from women, that reason declined from 86 to 78%. But this idea of work-family balance is now being recognized as a challenge for many working fathers as well as as women. In 2015, according again to the Pew Research Center, um, 52% of working dads said they found it difficult, and, you know, which is, of course, less than the 60% of women who found it difficult. When you were working, did you find that balance difficult? And when I say you're working, when you were practicing law, yeah. because you've been working. Uh, absolutely. Uh it's it's hard to it's hard to juggle all of the balls as a parent that you need to juggle. Um, the, the the I think the more interesting question is when you're juggling those seven balls and the kids get to all their places the places they need to be. Does your spouse appreciate that? Right. And uh, come home with a paycheck, to obviously that pays all your bills. But appreciates, uh, and I think to a very, very real extent, Joe, uh, perhaps unlike a lot of her male counterparts, but Joe appreciated that uh, remarkably well. And how did you know that? How did you see it, or what did she do? Well, Joe, and uh, Joe's very, you know, she is very verbal. She's much more verbal than I am, and uh, she communicates way better than I. We are going to another break. You're listening to the Balanced Dilemma. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And you're listening to The Balanced Dilemma. Our guest is John Brisson. You can call in. It's 914-636-0110. So, John, I had a question for you. Um, I've often heard a common refrain amongst women that when they have children and they might uh, leave the workforce, they feel a loss of identity. 
Um, and for some women, although being a parent is very rewarding, they feel this terrible loss in not being part of the workplace. And even though you did maintain your career, you did have uh, you know a large chunk of your life occupied by de- taking care of your children. Did you ever feel this loss of identity or that that eclipsed other aspects of you? Uh, no, uh, but I do, uh, I can appreciate that my, Joe travels a great deal and I travel occasionally with her. And when I travel with her, I'm Mr. Hannafin and I say yes and I'll pay the bill. And, uh, but none of that ever bothers me. So I think from even my teenage years, I've been very secure in who I am. And part of this goes to this whole, you know, white male, you know, I'm a white male in Westchester County. So why would I have a loss of identity? And that's uh, that's part of the problem. But uh, no, I never felt that. That's interesting. We actually have a caller, though. Caller, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, I have a question for your guest. Um, I was wondering, I'm not sure how many kids you have, but you might have said that and I may have missed it. But how do your kids or your kid feel about you in this role over the years? Uh, Thank you very much. Well, we have three children who are now 33, 30, and 27 years of age. And we, uh, they had a blast with me. We vacationed together. We camped together. I did everything with them, just like moms usually do. And uh, our kids uh, had a wonderful time with that. Did they ever complain, why can't mom be with us also? Well, they, they all knew that Joe was so busy and doing other things or other places. So they complained about it a bit, but we went out and had our fun. And they do use that every now and then against her now because she wasn't there for many of the you know fabulous kind of activities we had. John, did you plan the birthday parties and I mean there are a lot of things that get done that people that I know I hadn't had thought about before I had kids and it surprised me that I've had to decorate and throw parties and things that I really wasn't trained to do did you experience that uh, you know so I didn't do any birthday parties uh, I didn't do anything for Halloween or uh, Valentine's Day Joe Joe was very happy to take care of those and even shopping for clothes I think uh, Caitlin, our daughter, was 11. We went to a store, and I sat outside the store, and I said, tell me what you want to buy, and I'll come in and buy it. But I was working on something. And she said, no, I want you to come in and look at everything as I put it on. <laughs> and, and I said, no, just pick, find the one you like. I'll buy it. So we, she she never asked me to shop with her again. We have another caller, so oh. caller, go ahead. Hello? Hello? Go ahead, caller. Yeah, how you doing? I've been listening to the show on and off because I've been out trying to do something with my car. But I just thought I'd call in. Uh, a couple questions, uh, and I just heard the ages of the kids. At, at what time in the age of these children did you did you start staying at home with them? Right after they were born? Uh, excellent question. So when the youngest one was two or three and the oldest one was seven, uh, that's that's when I fired the nannies, and I left a New York City firm, and I joined the Westchester County firm with my father. And so the youngest one was around two or three, and after that, I dropped, like a lot of us know, I dropped the kids off at the bus, 
I drive to work and drop the baby off in daycare. And at the end of the day, I'd pick the baby up and drive back. And if I could get there before the bus at the end of the day. Uh, now, maybe you already mentioned this. and uh, uh, But here's a question. Now, you mentioned that your wife's name is, is Joe. Are you a, are you a same-sex couple? Uh, again, a very fair question. And the answer is no. Her name is Joe as in J-O. Uh, okay, I was just wondering. No, no, it's a very fair you know, question. So these days, you don't always know. Well, you're uh, going to have to log on to our social media at Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram to see the beautiful picture John has given us of him and his beautiful wife, who is one of the most elegant, uh, put together women I know who can juggle everything. <laughs> well, well, I just, I just thought I'd ask because when I heard the name Joe, I said, "Oh, maybe fair. it's the same sex couple." Fair, fair question, and. You know, I, I want to go back to Thank something. Thank you, caller. Thank you so much for the, the call. Great question. So, John, going back to, um, you know, you're mentioning your daughter wants you to come in and, and look at all the clothing in the store. And I, I remember once seeing this dad with uh, three daughters and they were all wearing gray sweatpants, right? And and nobody's hair was done, and they were obviously totally adorable. But I looked at that, and I made an immediate assumption that Dad dressed them, right? And here it brings up the, the issue, like, do men sometimes just let some things go that women fixate on, and maybe it's not the best way to do it? Um, do men do it differently? And how did that work in your household? Uh well, so an example of things that I just let go was the 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 oldest son. He he wear shorts until it was like December, and now it's like twenty degrees out. And you'd say, "Put pants on." You go, "Dad, I never got sick. I haven't gotten a cold in years. I'm fine. Let me go." And it wasn't long where I said, "Fine, go ahead." I think a lot of us have gotten to that point where we let that go, too. Okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, maybe having it, I think we've discussed this a lot, Maura, that sometimes we're, we are our own worst enemy. And if you want to have more time to do the things you want to do, you need to let go of the things that don't really matter, like the perfectly coordinated birthday parties with little ponies all over the place. Does it really matter than just saying to a couple of friends, let's go get a slice of pizza and get an ice cream and, and right. happy birthday and that's it? Or the perfectly cooked home cooked healthy Correct. meal yes which My, maybe d- isn't doable every single night yes right. And I, I kind of uh, have, I bask in uh, my mother's description of my house as lived in. I'm not really sure what she meant by that, but that's she said it was comfortably lived in. So maybe that just means rough around the, re- the edges. But I have enough time to uh, do the other things I want to do other than decorate. Um, so now we go to this other concept, which is really the crux of what we discussed here, is what does balance mean? Does uh, balance mean 50-50 all the time? And what about your individual uh, balance and what works for you? How, how do you think about balance, John? Uh, I find that that is such an interesting question. And yes, everyone needs balance in their lives. But how you how you define balance uh, and, and how you really understand balance, that's, that's the key. And if I were to relate it to rowing, for anyone who's out there in a, in a boat, especially a small boat, if you want to row your small boat well, you need to be comfortable with imbalance. And once you're comfortable with imbalance, you can row your boat through really treacherous waters. And, you know, the analogy with life is, you know, it's going to be imbalanced. And you have to embrace that, not fight it, and relax with it so you can ride out the waves to calmer waters. So... 
balance is a very hard, you know, it's balance 50-50. And as a, as a, if you say, well, I want all of the child-rearing responsibilities divided evenly, um, you're going to be really disappointed because I don't know how it can possibly work out evenly. But if your goal is to raise the kids so they can grow up, move out, be independent, self-sufficient, and then you can retire and grow old with your spouse, if that is your job, then it's a 50-50 sharing of getting to that goal, which is way more than just raising kids. Definitely. So it's more than, it's not 50% of everything at every time. Correct. And there's going to be times where it's not going to be balanced and you have to get comfortable with that. Well, there's also things one likes to do versus the other. I mean, who was the homework person? <laughs> uh, I was the homework person. Uh, Joe Joe likes doing the laundry. She loves doing shopping. So she did all of that. But, you know, there were all those years and I, as parent, you know, the kids come home, they have homework, you have dinner, there's baths. There's maybe a TV show, and I would re- read every night. So there's a really tight schedule to get all that done. So let me ask your opinion on this. Do you think that in a couple, both can have equal careers at the same time? And in order to do that, what would be needed? I think if, you're, if, you're, if your career is uh, you know, sitting behind a desk and practicing law or running a business... And you don't see the career as including your family. Uh, the only way to have two careers is to have someone else at home taking the kids. Right. Okay. We're going to take another break. Stay with us. Um, we'll be back on the other side. You can call in 914-636-0110. Dilemma. Our guest is John Brisson, and you can call in 914-636-0110. So, John, I want to go back to this concept of having two professional couples. And one thing that I've noticed is when you do have dual professional couples, there is a question of whether both parties find profession, uh, find fulfillment and success. And I'm asking you, have you achieved whatever goals you hope to and is there anything that you sacrificed by taking on more in the house than maybe a traditional uh, partnership might have allowed the husband to? Uh, that's a really tough question to answer uh, because part of me wants to answer that I sacrificed my legal career to raise my kids, but I, I made that decision consciously. And if I had to make it again, I would make the same one. So um, I don't really see it as a sacrifice. It was kind of a kind of a detour or a, a pivot uh, than a sacrifice. And so, so many things in life is about how you cope with it and how you think about it. And it's far less disappointing to make a pivot uh, than to a sacrifice. I like that. It's how you frame it to yourself. Do you take any credit for any of Joe's success? Well, in terms of her success in her medical field, no. Uh, she has worked very, very hard in medicine for all of her achievements, uh, all of her research, and all of her accolades, uh, all of her awards. She's earned all of that. But I was uh, very much a, a mentor and a coach through it. Uh, I helped her through a lot of difficult issues. 
I think my influence uh, has helped her be way more assertive in meetings. Uh, and I know that taking care of the kids allowed her to ride on her merry-go-round and grab the brass rings she wanted so badly. And so you, I don't take any credit. Do you think she gives you credit? Oh, absolutely. I'm very glad to be by her side, and she absolutely appreciates um, our partnership. I like that. And this brings us to how we met, which is rowing. And you coached one of my beautiful children and taught them how to row and get that uh, balance in the boat. And speaking of, you you raised the idea of pivoting and, and your, I mean, your love for rowing. Do you look at it as this allowed you to pivot and spend more time as a rowing coach and rowing yourself? Uh you know, absolutely, yes. And very much like your uh, guest last week who found an escape every morning or every minute she could writing a story. You know, if if Joe and I went out for a row in the morning, uh, that was kind of our escape. That was a little bit of our religion. So uh, the rowing helped me keep balance in, in that little momentary escape, like a lot of workouts and a lot of exercise do for a lot of people. I found it interesting that you've coached an awful lot of girls and women. How did that come about? Uh, you know, that's true. And I think a lot of it is coincidental uh, in just how things turned out. Uh, I will absolutely uh, agree that you communicate differently with women and men if you want them to achieve. But for most sports, and certainly for rowing, the rowing stroke is the same. How you train and the workouts you want to perform are the same but uh, yeah you talk to you talk to women differently than you want men well i've the things that i've heard male coaches say to boys that they're coaching and there's really only one that i could even say on the air which is you know don't play like a girl the rest are far more offensive um what do you say to girls (laughs) play like a girl you know yes uh absolutely play like a girl and just anecdotally, how I kind of view that. I think when our son was like seven, he was standing on a rock at the ocean with his cousins who were six and seven. And when the wave hit the rock, if anyone jumped off the rock, they were called a girl. Well, those hmm. boys got hauled up to the top and got lectured by Joe that that was not an appropriate use of the word girl. And all of our kids understand that. I understand that. So, uh, no, I, uh, I want all of my women to be women. So what's the difference in the communication? A little bit is in uh, feelings and sensitivity. Uh, if you have a, a boat of women who, a boat of people who all like each other, in a, in a women's boat, if, if you berate one of the athletes and then later apologize, you'll repair your relationship with that athlete, but all the other girls in the boat will dislike you. If you berate a guy, all you have to do is apologize to that guy because no one else cares. Right. That's just a, and there are a lot of little examples like that. Yeah, I did tell you I was going to tell you my one coach story from college, and my coach was an Olympiad and you know Eastern Bloc rower, and we had a new stroke, uh, a girl, and she had red nail polish and she wore red lipstick, which John will know, you just don't have that in in women's rowing, and we weren't rowing well, and I was in the seventh seat behind this young lady. And the coach screamed into the megaphone from the launch and said, Carol, we do not wear lipstick and nail polish in women's rowing. 
And the poor girl just tried to wipe the lipstick off her, her mouth as we were taking strokes. And uh, I, I felt so bad for her. But uh, you can understand that, you know, that, that yeah. coach, that's how she communicated. And I never forgot it. <laughs> yeah, not, not effective. <laughs> no. <laughs> what kinds of advice do you give to the girls and women you coach? And is it different than you would give to a man? Uh, well, we had a, a Zoom meeting with uh, 40 uh, Fairfield County, uh, Fairfield University, sorry, Fairfield University women. And we and, should mention that you yes. coached the Fairfield women's uh, rowing team. I'm the assistant coach at Fairfield University. And we had a little Zoom meeting the other day, and I urged all of them that, like so many things t- today with the pandemic, they had to reinvent sport. They had to reinvent athletics they couldn't just show up, the coach tells them what to do, and they leave. It doesn't work that way in the pandemic. And I urge them all to use a, their collaborative skills, which women have in a very much more significant way than men. And I told the women, men don't even know how to spell it, That's let alone what it means. So they can't even look it up. But I urge them to, down to the freshmen, to the seniors... That they had forty, they had forty partners, and although we had three captains and a couple of coaches, we had forty women who could collaborate and find a way to train together and get all this stuff done. And they, uh, I urged them to use their collaborative skills. What advice would you give to your thirty-year-old self? I would, as a thirty-year-old, I would say, use more common sense. Be more cautious and less impulsive. Hmm. Maybe uh, advice to everyone. That would be good advice. But yeah, as a 30-year-old, I was over the top on that. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to sneak in one more question. Yep. Do you give different advice or treat your daughter differently than your sons? You know, uh, for very quickly, for both kids, all the kids, the kids would come to their mother and say, can you give me advice? And she'd take out a piece of paper and she'd write one, two, three, four, and there might be A, B, C, and D on each number. And she'd hand it to them and say, do this. They'd come to me and say, Dad, what advice do you have? And I'd say, well, I could tell you what I would do, but that's of no use to you because you're not me. Let's talk about who you are and what your dilemma is, and let's find the best solution for you. Yeah, I like that. It's um, You're really uh, showing how different styles still work to complement each other and are both effective in different ways. So I just want to give you a heads up. The next time we meet is November 19th, and I'm really excited. We're going to have Michelle Gross. She's the owner of Studio 50, which is a gym in Mamaroneck. And the interesting thing about Michelle is that not only is she a mompreneur starting her own business, she's also a momager. She has a daughter who's been on Broadway, and she's going to tell us how that works. And that's going to be on November 19th. And please look for us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Just search for The Balanced Dilemma, and you can like us and submit questions, and we'd love to hear from you. John, it turns out that today is National Men Make Dinner Day. Who knew? Who knew, right? So we're going to ask you, what share you your favorite recipe and what are you making? <laughs> well, my favorite recipe is uh, spaghetti with meat sauce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Homemade? Homemade, absolutely. Uh, you got to, you know, yes, absolutely homemade. And uh, that's my favorite meal. And 
Joe is actually about two hours away, so I'll be joining her, and we'll go out to dinner tonight. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Thanks so much for joining us on The Balanced Dilemma. I'm Maura Carlin. And I'm Christy Jericho. Thank you so much, John. It's been great. Thank you.